0: Revenge of the 80s, kids, has been rated P for podcasts.
1: Snake, we have a problem. The problem is you're on holiday, so I've had to draft in a bunch of temps in your place. What Foxhound sent us is not what I would describe as up to snuff. Please, Snake, come back safe. I know you've only booked a couple of weeks in the Costa del Ocelot, but you know, wherever you go and whatever you do, things always wind up getting... complicated. No, I'm serious, Snake. Two of those guys that sent us are, well... They're large. They'll never be able to crawl under any laser tripwires. And they were amazed to learn there is a sprint button on their game controller. The third, codename Drunk Giraffe, is refusing to eat his ration packs. You see, well, he's a vegetarian. At least one of them, codename Decomposing Rhino, likes the sound of his own voice. That's always vital in these missions we put together, and I have an expository monologue for him later that's longer than the LA phone directory. I think the other, codename Gaseous Warus, has the look of someone who could be a sleeper quintuplet agent, and we know how he always liked those to spice of the mission. The only problem is that to turn him into a cyborg ninja is going to demand extra large robot torso coverings, and his stealth camo is struggling. Seriously, it's like looking at the Michelin man made from green jello. In short, Snake, I'd really rather you cut your holiday short so we could get back to business as usual. What do you say? Snake? Are you still there? Snake? Snake? Snake! Um, I've eaten all my rations. Is that going to be a problem?
0: It's alright, Ian. It's alright. Justin can handle this. I know that we couldn't quite get under that low hanging wire there, but but he's okay. He's just going to cut cut the yellow wire! The yellow one! Nah! I wanna blow stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, looks like Justin won't be joining us for the rest of the show. Also looks like we can't get out of this tightly sealed bunker. Still At least there's uh, an old first-generation PlayStation here in the corner so that we can uh, enjoy some time whiling away till our doom with um, computer games and stuff.
1: Do you know, I think the PlayStation was was, was kind of special to me, Leo. It's the only console I know where I bought a special bag so i could when i was in university or whatever i could put it in this special bag and take it with me back home on the train so uh, i've never done that with anything else so I, I think there's there's something slightly holy and mystical about this small gray box
0: yes when, when was it that the first playstation was was, was released
1: I, uh, I believe it was 20 years ago this year
0: Yes, it was. 1994. Aren't we doing a little bit about the 90s at the moment?
1: We are. I suppose we're getting ahead of ourselves leaping into the 94, but what the hell? I'm always well,
0: always a sucker. Yeah, the films of 1994 are to come, but yes, it, it has to be said that the 90s was a decade when uh, video games changed. Yes. Uh, this, I think I found E-Hop. the reason
1: why I didn't visit the cinema very much this decade. I was inside playing a small box in which much better movies were on.
0: Well yeah I mean I don't know if that I don't know if that's a bit harsh but uh, I mean well okay so yes there were, there were not very many good movies in the 90s but uh, one has to ask the question and maybe we will later do we think that the advent of the new video game paradigm have an impact on on Hollywood because I would say that it possibly did but we're we're getting ahead of ourselves let's just take a quick look at the at the world of consoles pre the PlayStation Uh, Of course, there's the famous story that uh, the PlayStation came about because Nintendo didn't know anything about compact disc players for their own manufacturing arm. So they teamed up with Sony to produce a Nintendo CD-based console and did loads of work with them. And then said, "No, oh, this is silly. Nobody's ever going to want to play a console which you put CDs into." And then they went away and made the N64 instead, which was the last cartridge, significant cartridge-based system, uh, to my knowledge. And so, and, and so they went, well, we've just done all this work on how to make a CD, fit a CD player in and interface it with all the stuff to make a console work. What do you want us to do with this? And I said, "Do what you like with it." And so they went, "Right, we will then." And they went, "Fine then." And then. Out came the PlayStation, and the world was changed forever. So although the PlayStation wasn't released until December 1994, obviously it had been long in the works prior to that. So,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was just sorting through my memory cards. I've got about 20 of the bloody things. Do you know which one has my Final Fantasy seven on it?
0: No, I, I don't know what's on your memory cards. I don't know what's on my memory cards. So how am I supposed to know what's on? Apart from the one labelled music, but we'll get onto that later. But yeah. So so, so Leo, how
1: did he, how did you get onto the PlayStation? Because it's a bit of an odd thing for us to do. I mean, we played consoles, but we weren't console
0: chasers, were we? I mean, you know, actually, the way that it broke down for me was that back in the eighties, a friend of mine he went away on a sort of a sabbatical. Uh, not his sabbatical, his. His parents' sabbatical, where they went to live in in Greece for a year, and he left me in charge of his Spectrum 48K for the uh, year to look after it. The blessed
1: 48K Spectrum. Uh, American listeners may be baffled about this machine, but it dominated the UK market for eight years in the
0: 80s. Yes, I mean the thing about the sad thing about the Spectrum 48K was that it was it was a massive computer with gamers. But uh, Sir Clive Sinclair, who designed it, had designed it for. Uh, more mundane activities and i think he wanted it to be taken seriously as a business machine well he did he wanted it to be taken seriously as a business machine to the degree where you couldn't have more than three or four colors on screen at one time it was actually hard coded into the hardware oh yeah it was that, it, so, it was
1: it was famous in the console called the spectrum that only had nine colors
0: well yes but it it had yeah but it, wasn't, it was it was very out. it was
1: very monochrome I, I agree with you on on, on yeah, certain you, games
0: Oh, yeah, no, most games were, were had a limited colour palette. You couldn't do much with it. So the Spectrum screenshot was always the one that you could pick out. You know, the, the computer magazines at the time had a Commodore screenshot, an Amstrad screenshot, and a Spectrum yes. screenshot. But, but you I th- could always tell the Spectrum screenshot because it was, you know, monochrome. And you it know that
1: there, there's a certain theme here, because I never, I never had a Commodore, but I had a friend who had a Commodore I never saw him play, but I knew they were out there, I knew Commodores existed, but all my friends had Spectrums, and I had a Spectrum, and I, I, had, the, I had the upgrade from the uh, 48, I went to the 128, whoa, uh, you know, loading your games in from your cassette, and you know, I think this is going to be a theme with the PlayStation, the Spectrum is not the best looking uh, platform in terms of your game quality. And other things were out at the time contemporary to it that were better. But what it did have was just a chock lot of games you could play and games that came free with the, you know, Spectrum magazines that you could get. And there were tons of demos and everything else. So, you know, you could buy, there was one offer, I think, in in Curry's, which was an electrical store where if you bought a Spectrum, they would give you a box that had 100 Spectrum games in it, which is, you know, most of them are quite, you know, cheap rubbish, but it's, but some of them were all right. Some of them were genuine release titles that have been boxed into this 100 games deal. And you know, I think it's just the fact that there's so many games out. And that was always, uh, I think I was Sony's trump card as well. It, it had so
0: many games. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Your your points are all well made. I mean, yes, we, the Spectrum was there. I did briefly have a Commodore when it was a little bit late to be having a Commodore sixty four, but I I had one anyway. Um, but then when it came to actual games consoles, I think one of the things about it was that technically you could do more with a computer in theory than just well, play games uh, on it. the Spectrum's trump card was that it was
1: programmable. With its basic language, uh, and you yes. know, uh, you could have hobbyists knocking out games in their in their bedrooms, and indeed, that is what happened.
0: There was a, a sort of a period when uh, all the cool kids had either the Atari ST or the Amiga. Uh, I had, I had was, an Amiga. I wasn't one of the cool kids.
1: I, I was I, never a cool kid at anything, but I have a long affection for the Amiga. It was it was an all right system. It's it's gone now. Alas, but uh, all the CGI in Jurassic
0: Park was done on Amigas, so there. Yeah. Then there was, I mean, and then it sort of there was a bit of a a period when there wasn't really much going on in that because it it was that period when uh, IBM PCs were becoming big and Apples were becoming big, and so there was a sort of a, a separation, a parting of the ways, because of course Spectrum, Commodore, Amiga, Atari ST, all of these things had, you know, a Sort of a business face and a gaming face and they were all in the same box. And I think for a while PCs tried to be all business and then you had things like, you know, the Mega Drive and the Super NES and all of that kind of stuff. And that was, that was games consoles. But throughout all of this computers were either for business or if you were going to play a game on the computer, then that was something that you did because you were frivolous and childish. And, you I know, think there
1: was definitely a perception that consoles were a child's toy. And, you yes. know, it was always the distraction. They were well, kids are playing video games these and not out playing like we were when we were kids. It was probably a little incorrect at the time. I mean, it, it already migrated to students because when I was at university, we had a, a SNES in the household and that was played religiously. I mean, uh, Metroid 3 and Rock and Roll Races and things like that, they would play endlessly on a loop by us. We knew those games backwards.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, that was the, yeah, it, it was definitely, there was definitely something about consoles up to that point. that They were always marketed. Well, the big two were Sega and, and Nintendo. It was all about fun and toys and, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the Nintendo with the Beatles and Sega with the Rolling Stones, you know. Mario was the, the standard, and then Sonic was a sort of slightly edgier competitor. And that, that that was the world, and that was all fine. And then in 1994 out came the PlayStation. When did you first get your PlayStation?
1: When did I first get 96. 96? I, I believe it was Christmas 96. Right. right. But I played, So you would be I, the, f- the first adopter. Well, I played PlayStation prior to that because there was also a PlayStation, again, with the same guys in university. In addition to uh, SNES, I think we also had a PlayStation. It must have been fresh out at the time, and we were playing Time Crisis on there. We were playing Wipeout on there. I think those were the
0: games of choice. I didn't get mine until 1998, and for very strange reasons at that. But, yeah, I mean, I remember when they first came out. or I mean, it can't have been when they very first came out. It must have been shortly after. I mean, I suppose we got them a bit later in the UK than their official release date of 1994. I mean, I don't remember in 1994 seeing any sort of PlayStation stuff about in the UK because I was still... Well, we were still in college at that point. I remember uh, distinctly in the second year of my college, which would have been 1996, going down to the local blockbuster to join up, and they had a whole wall of PlayStation stuff And you could rent a console. They were keen to get people to engage with the console and use it. And you could rent a console. The irony of it being that in order to rent it, you had to pay, I think, almost the amount that the console was worth as a deposit. You got it back. But my thing was like, well, if you had that money sitting around to leave it for a weekend to rent a games console, if you had that amount of money just sitting around that you could bear to be without for two or three days, why wouldn't you just buy the console? Seems a bit silly, really, but Hmm. there we go. Yeah, I mean, I remember Wipeout coming out, and the big fuss they made about the the soundtrack to Wipeout, and the fact that they, this is the the Sony's approach. I mean, I don't know who came up with this idea, uh, Sony HQ, but uh, whoever it is, obviously, you know, they they obviously haven't been as recognised as maybe they should have been, because one of the things that they did was they went into nightclubs with these playstations and set up playstation rooms in nightclubs um and that was the first time they were trying to send a message you know
1: well you know it makes it makes business sense because kids don't have disposable income they have to nag their parents whereas you know that glorious 18 to 35 bracket disposable income no dependents you know yeah uh, they got spare money for video games and DVDs. I mean, it's the main shops we crawled when we went to town were those places, the music
0: shops, yeah, in your so case, but I tagged along. Yeah, so it's um, it, that's, that's genius. But, I mean, I don't think that... You know, there's not many people in marketing who get that kind of, oh, you're a genius tag. But that that was... You know, because it was such a simple thing, and yet nobody had hitherto. I mean, Nintendo and Sega both managed to miss that trick completely. You know, they were going for you know family entertainment and and for the edgy kid with the baseball cap, respectively. Those were their markets. Right? yeah, there we go. Those are our markets. And you have pester power and nagging and you know cartridges and who's going to pay. You know, so much money for a game on a CD yeah. and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, we think we can pitch this. We think we can get this over.
1: Well, I think you know, perhaps we are slightly ignorant of what was going on on the PC at the time because it wasn't that Doom had burst out as the first person shooter of choice on the PC and things like that. And also, I don't know how it culturally goes down in Japan. Whether it was just a much more mainstream thing there, and they just had the wrong opinion about the West, where they said, "Oh, it's just it's usually young teenagers who play." games over there, so that's where we'll pitch our market to over there. And Sony said, no, 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 no. It works here, it can work over there too. We've got all these games that are appropriate for more you know,
0: advanced uh, age-playing and RPGs and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I mean, possibly so. I think that I remember um, the first time, and it, it's a crazy long time in between the two things put together, where someone showed me a, a real-time strategy they were playing on a PC about 1996. Six ish and went look at this this is the future and I looked at it and it, it, it looked like there was a game on a PC you know and a, a 1996 RTS on a PC and I was like I think I, at the time I was like mm, yeah like that you know just like and I've always had this mental block with PC gaming uh, that if I'm on a PC there are things that I should be doing that are not playing computer games there is also the problem, and this is I think, something that is unique to PCs, that there are PC games that can swallow your life. Yes. You have to be very, very careful when you load them up, because you look away for a minute and then nine hours have passed, and that's just... They, 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 those don't really work on consoles, but PCs, oh, yeah, you've got to be really careful. So I think, yeah, in between all of that there is there, you know the console kind of slots in as a as a as a thing and well, and yeah it was it
1: was also i mean the, the comes to the playstation it was something for everyone if you want your if you want your uh, uh, real time strategy games it has real time strategy if, if you want first person shooter it has that if you want rpgs it has that i mean point and click rpgs were, were kind of dying out at this stage anyway but you know uh, and also there was a great yearning to want to have 3d as well uh, proper 3d going dispensing with pixels and going for polygons um so you know i, I, I remember getting my first racing game I was never, i've never i have very few racing games it's never really a genre i've got into but i remember playing it and going my god finally i feel like i have an arcade quality game in my bedroom and at the time it was probably true looking back at it very quaint graphics but that's always the way and what sort of genres were you into because i i did not if you want the big sellers you want sports i never got a sports game i was never really into first person shooter what were you kind of into
0: well this is the interesting thing because i didn't come to that for the whole time i mean i I remember seeing those playstations in, in, in the blockbuster in 1996 and then I just, I mean, I remember video games, but I, I had this idea that video games, you know, had an well, essential... Well, what was it then? What quality. was it that made you go
1: from console, eh, it's not really me, I've got more important things to do my time, to I'm now going to go out and now I'm going to buy a console. I'm going to religiously check to see what games are out all the time and look in second-hand well, bays and things, things like
0: that. First of all, I was um, out of college... Um, and so, you know, in theory it was going to have some money They also did a price drop Which has become a feature now Of the console generation This was in 1998 So the, the PlayStation at this point Was four years old And they dropped the price of the console To, I think it was about £140 or something Which suddenly put it Within the realm of something That you, you know As a, a man in your early 20s You might have a bit of spare cash To drop on that kind of thing. You weren't going to spend £300 on it, certainly. <laughs> oh, I perish the thought. But 140 for a toy is expensive, but not outside of all the realms of possibility. And uh, they also brought out this game. Or There was a software house that made a game called Fluid, which allowed you to layer loops together to make wambly ambient techno. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I've always had an interest in piddling about with that kind of thing. This would be really cool if I could, you know, have a go at that. So I bought a console and I bought Fluid. I think they gave you a demo disc as well. And then, almost as if the stars were aligning, uh, the only job I could get straight out of college was uh, te- out of university, uh, stay in school, kids, uh, Was and a, a, a sort of a customer service assistant at... Blockbuster video. For people that Where may not Arras- remember remember Blockbuster Video, they were a rental DVD store. Yes. Well, in fact at the time they were a rental video store. <laughs> and they had a wall of PlayStation games and you could have a go on those. And and you know, then I started to discover that, you know, pre owned prices and I was like, Wow, well, if you could go into a place and get pre owned games for a Fiverr or whatever it was, and it wasn't that cheap. And so I picked up a copy of Tomb Raider and and Armoured Core, and and, and, and basically I was a PlayStation owner. I mean, Um, they sort of get you somehow, and then that's it.
1: And they also have the very clever idea of once a game's sold so many copies, it goes platinum and gets dropped to half price.
0: Yes, indeed, that was a thing that happened. And so, you know, you then start working on your games library. Or you know, I mean, you, you know, you don't really think about it, but you you sort of by accident kind of almost fall into buying more games. I mean, that's one of the, the big things that um, there's been a lot of debate of recent times about, you know, the pre-owned market and its place in the console landscape. And I think what people don't understand is that, People actually do, I myself and one of them, take into account the pre-owned price range catalog when they consider buying the console in the first place. That's why I'm not an early adopter, because why am I going to run out and buy a console that's got like 12 games, all of which, you know, are 50 quid a pop, whereas I might buy a console if there's a few new titles that i would like to play but there's a vast library of games all of which are, are pence and that's that you know that's possibly just my way well, of doing it and they do eventually sell you a new game you do buy it you end up buying a new game so they wouldn't have that new game sale if it weren't for the pre-owned coming first it's
1: yes i mean it's Game developers obviously loathe the second-hand market because they don't get any money out of that, as far as, as, far as I'm aware. But um, it, it, the thing is, though, it was kind of a trap because so many of these games, people would play them, and if there's only 13 hours of gameplay there, they would finish them and hand them back in and trade them in for something else. Uh, and there they were. It's a, it's a fraction of the cost of your... You know, you had to seriously love a series and seriously favour a particular development house before you would make a point of going out and, and buying fresh off the shelf brand new copy games to support the dudes you loved. Yeah, that's that's a, that was my experience. There was certainly loyalty there. My goodness, there was loyalty, and it was also it was the fact that this was a time where there was an influx of a lot of new IPs. There were a lot of new new games. Newness was not a thing to be feared. Demos were everywhere. You could just try things, see if you liked it. Oh, that looks all right. I'll go get one. And uh, yeah, so a lot of these things not were not new, not ongoing series. They were new stuff. There was there was an Abe's Odyssey demo on the playstation i got and i love that demo went out and bought the game and it was 50 pounds and that was a lot back in my day and it was still of a time where you bought a game and you played it for hours and then you probably played it again to unlock the thing you didn't quite get the first time these days i can't quite do that anymore i think i've kind of lost that i've lost the eye of the tiger leo um but yes um but you know i mean over time you you build up a a bit of a collection over the years that 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 original playstation very dear thing and to return to my earlier point the playstation is uh compared to the things that are out contemporary to it was not the strongest uh, in terms of technology it wasn't the n64 was a better machine in terms of power Uh, But what it did have was just a chock lot of games at an affordable price. Uh, so, and, you know, you you could carve out your own quiet little market. I never touched a sports game. I only ever bought one first-person shooter in my life. I never was into RTS, but I was into my, you know, 3D adventure... I was supposed to call them adventure games, wouldn't they? Uh, third-person yeah, adventure, yeah. Things like that. I was into those. I was into my uh, JRPGs because I played Final Fantasy VII. I think my brother got it for me for Christmas the same year I got my first PlayStation. That was it. The three games I had, it was Colony Wars... Uh, which is a space shoot 'em up, and I had Tomb Raider, and I had Final Fantasy VII. My goodness, I played those games endlessly. I love each of those series. Uh, and uh, curse my brother for getting me Final Fantasy 7 because it made me care, care so much about the Final Fantasy series. And it proceeded to just whack me in the nuts with a hammer every single successive game after Final Fantasy 7. But the really? high, well, 8 was all right, but it was tremendously grindy. 9 was all right, but I never found any any passion to ever replay it ever. 10! Ten has a certain yeah, but I have replayed that once before. But after that, it start. I, I have not finished twelve. I hardly got anywhere. Oh yeah, I,
0: there was definitely a point at which it jumped the shark. Definitely. Yes. But um,
1: and now I care <coughs>
0: about. I shouldn't care about this. Why should I? Why should I
1: go see the Spirit Within movie? Final Fantasy and the Spirit Within. I will come out going, oh my goodness, it's, that that movie. It's going to sink square. This is so depressing. How did that happen?
0: Yeah, this is my experience of Final Fantasy VII. I think I was a victim of people hyping it up too much. They were all like, "Yeah, this is going to—you
1: know—you're going to
0: find this awesome." And I played loads of it, and I was like, "I'm really—this is just wandering about and then pressing a button every so often." I can't. <laughs> um, well, uh, and that's I pretty think, much every I, game in a nutshell. I think, really, isn't it? No, but I think it—it's—it's it, when. If it's a surprise, maybe you get... I mean, I have played JRPGs, which I like, and have finished. In fact, my JRPG series of choice was... uh, There was a series on PlayStation 2 called Shadow Hearts. And I played Shadow Hearts uh, inside out and back to front. I still have the sequel. I mean to play it. The only problem with these things is that they last for years. You've got to play them and play them and play them and play them to get through the story. But, yeah, I I really enjoyed... uh, I really enjoyed Shadow Hearts. But, yeah, um, I think it's one of those things where you either get it or you don't. And, and more often than not, I, I didn't. I mean, there, there was an interesting thing. Shadow Hearts had a thing called the Judgment Ring, which you used during your uh, fight, where if you, um, you had a wheel, like a, a circle on the screen, that had pie-shaped green wedges in it, and on the, the leading edge, you know, like a, a line would go clockwise, like a second hand on a clock, round the circle. If you hit the uh, X button while it was in the green wedge, then your character would layer, layeth the smack down on their opponent. But if you managed to get it, there was a little red leading edge on the anti-clockwise side, you know, the furthest edge of the wedge. If you got it in there, you got an ultimate punch and it did more damage. So the idea was to hit it, you know, as close to, if not on the large, you know, the red wedge bit as you could so that you could really power through the the enemies and that added an extra sort of something you could do rather than just select am i fighting well am
1: I you're doing am Final doing? fantasy the service i mean plenty of Final fantasy games had certainly had it you know, between characters there are different mechanics that could that could power up your special attacks and things like that that's fairly standard i mean yeah they have the judgment wheel that was their stick but uh, the, the variants of it are, are pretty much to be found everywhere I mean, it was was just the fact, I I played Final Fantasy VII, I played it through to the end, and my goodness, it was a long, epic journey to do it, and then I played it through again, and the beginning of it was like, oh, it's, the the story, it's all there at the beginning, I didn't appreciate it at the time, and then, what happened after that was I got the Game Genie, a sort of uh, hacking disc thing, and I I wasn't into, like, making my characters invincible, because that's just dull, why would you want to bother doing that? But I was really into some of the really cool hacks you could do, like putting characters into your party that aren't supposed to be there and, and leveling those up beyond the point you're supposed to have them and having special Joker commands to take them in and out of your party so you don't get a crash. And, you know, the the, the forums for, like, the Game Genie had, like, tons and tons of really cool hacks about skipping this or doing that or you know, there's another cool thing you can do in this game and... One, and then one day for some reason they just wiped their forums and it was it was a complete gut wrench that I'd lost a, I, thankfully I wrote some of them down on pen and ink before, before the age of printers laid, didn't, I'm lying it's not really but you know it, it was such a gut that this was taken away from me and I've, I, it was a very basic form of modding is what I would see it as now but it really gave me a, a serious joy to play through it the third time and like have the character that's supposed to die in your party throughout was just such a sneaky thing for me to do that I buzzed with joy for it. Or having the principal villain of the game in your party throughout, ooh, I have hacked the game.
0: Yes, so I mean, but the, so I mean, so that's that's the JRPG thing. I think one of the interesting things for me was one of the things that I didn't appreciate before I, I played Tomb Raider, I guess, is that the three dimensional block pushing sort of that that genre of as you say adventure games when you put, first encounter the character in the three-dimensional space you're like wow this is a, a completely new form of storytelling it's crazy and yes. you know you become involved and immersed and it, you know in a way that you uh, sorry never were in two dimensions when you had the old platform games on the old consoles Didn't really work the same way. Uh, And I never played Doom. I've still to this day never actually sat down and played Doom. It's not really my cup of tea. So I suppose it was even more impactful at that point.
1: I mean, I I never played Resident Evil, but I can totally understand why people on the PlayStation were totally into the Resident Evil. But, you know, it's it's, because most of these 3D um, adventure games, I'll be honest with you, Tomb Raider, she steers like a cow. And it takes a bit of know-how before you can master her to move around like a fluid, brilliant gymna- gymnastic uh, about the uh, game world. But there's that whole thing about you know being in a confined space with an enemy coming towards you and you're pulling out your guns and trying to get it down, and that beat of tension you might get from that, or from a surprise attack, uh, or from the fact that the zombie gets up the floor again and you're low on ammo. Uh, those sort of that uh, adrenaline, you can hear your heart going. Uh, just with just with the thrill of those little moments, uh, which I don't really get. Mind you, I've kind of really fallen out the console universe altogether. But anyway, story from another time. Basically, I, as they say, the Tomb Raider, the the, the, thing, the thing at the time they said about it was there's no game before, which makes you feel like you're
0: actually there. I mean, which is interesting because one of the things about it is that on the one hand, your brain is. T- filling in the blanks but like you say there are a lot of blanks there to fill in like while you can't blow a wooden door apart with a rocket launcher and you have to find the key you know that kind of thing but the whole point is that another level your brain is going yes but it's an analogy it's not real you know you know it's not real but the, the immersion is still there in fact it could be some interplay between you know the game world rules and your knowledge of reality that causes the immersion because the more realistic they tend to make these things or at least the more they push a particular piece of hardware to be realistic the less realistic it seems to become uh, hmm. in a, a master stroke of irony like as she was able to climb ladders and crouch and do lots of things that she'd never been able to they you know the programmers put more and more things in that she could do the more and more ridiculous it seems, she couldn't blow a wooden door off it. <laughs> um, well, could I have, could I have my my Tomb Raider rant?
1: It'll, yeah, it'll go be ahead. Brief. Okay, well, Tomb Raider is also the game that taught me that game reviewers are untrustworthy bastards, because they were, at a time a, a new Tomb Raider game came out every year, and you know they were a UK company. And you know, uh, I, I I bought a official PlayStation magazine all the time, and uh, as that was that was based in Bath, I believe, and I lived in Bath at the time, so obviously they get a lot of access to the core studios. They would up talk uh, Tomb Raider all the time, and you quickly see the pattern these falls into, which is this Tomb Raider game comes out, and they they say it's the best thing ever, and then after a few time has died down, because you go go get the game, and you go, yes, it's all right, but I can see problems X, Y, and Z with this, and then a few a few, months, cut to a few months later and of course you know it's out on platinum and now they're re- regrading it it's no longer a 10 out of 10 game it's now a 7 out of 10 game and they're saying all the things you spot in instantly when you were playing this game after a very short period of time thinking i'm not a game viewer how come they didn't pick up on this they must have got and naively i thought they must have just got overexcited about it all um and so you see this pattern of a two-minute game coming out and going oh this fixes all the problems we had with the previous game and then a few months later, it's like, no, well, there's a new game coming out, and this fixes all the problems we had with the previous game. So there's kind of a cycle going on there. And the knuckle-down point was when you had Tomb Raider 5 Chronicles coming out the same year as Final Fantasy IX. And they gave Final, Final Fantasy IX 9 out of 10 for lack of originality. And, but they gave Tomb Raider Chronicles 10 out of 10 again. They've done it again. And there was consternation about this scoring in the magazine going, how can you mark down Final Fantasy IX for lack of originality? I mean, they throw out all the characters in the world and start over from scratch with every, you know, and the combat system is done over again from scratch with every single game. But Tomb Raider, what was the great innovation in Tomb Raider V? Now she can walk on tight ropes and you have a mini balancing game as you go. Incidentally, this game is now a quarter the size of the previous game as well. 10 out of 10! You know, it was just like that sudden moment where you go These guys have an agenda.
0: Well, these guys have at this at that time and this is something that's been changed by technology, they had exclusive rights to talk to the studios and if they weren't nice yes. to the ones who were selling the most money, then they didn't get exclusive anymore and their magazine died or whatever. But, but instantaneously well, that renders reviews
1: pointless with yes, some
0: exceptions yeah which which it does and that's why i mean it's interesting that you know all of this console stuff happened at the same time as the internet because now you can i mean the problem is that with the internet that you can find uh supporters for just about any opinion and in the latter day you know um assassin's creed 3 is widely uh, revered widely, uh, regarded as the red-headed stepchild of the assassins creed series but if you want to go and have a scratch around, you can find people who go, it's not that bad. I mean, come on, it's actually pretty good. In actual part, it does some really things really well. And yes, there were glitches. And there, I mean, I was playing Assassin's Creed 3 the other day, and I fell through a rock. Unfortunately, because I approached it in the wrong angle and end up getting wedged, my foot got wedged in it, and then I couldn't get out. I was wiggling around trying to get him to jump out of the rock, and ended up falling into the rock, and then falling forever and desynchronizing and resetting the game. But you know, this is this is the price you pay for like you know the grasp, you know the reach exceeding the grasp. It, it, it's it's a game that's horrendously ambitious, and 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 that's what they got for that they tried to do too much at once and it it kind of suffered a little for that but only a little remarkable in many other regards and the thing about it is that the internet some people will say it's terrible and other people say oh, I quite like this actually and that that means that you can, you can just have your own opinion and then go and find people who agree with you and that kind of works which renders reviewing redundant in a completely different fashion because the game studios no longer have. I mean, they have their official toys. They have like IGN and things like that, where those people have to do what the old journalists had to do. But then the problem is that the review consumer has so many more channels on which to consume reviews. And they can't buy all of these people off. So, hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's all kind of become level, a what? level playing field. Let's sit back, and
1: the PlayStation era, it would be so nice if the world just kind of technologically froze at that stage for purely selfish reasons, because it was a time where we could have UK game developers. There was Core, they did uh, Tomb Raider, there was Cygnosis as well, they did, they did Colony Wars, they did Wipeout and you know that uh, my i got a brother-in-law who who was a video game where he, he worked on oh it was a ghost game and that he was, there was another game game worked on but there was uh, a that
0: it was that ghost hunter was it
1: it was ghost hunter but he he was a bit miffed it was marketed incorrectly in his opinion because they marketed it like a like a scare game when he actually wanted to be marketed more like a ghostbusters kind of comedy affair i think i mm. will have to get the inside scoop he was also he also did uh, the beast wars which was a Transformers game, and right. uh, they, they, a bug was discovered quite late in development. Basically, meant they had to take out like two thirds of all the enemies, so that that went to press not quite as he would like it, and found it very disheartening. But we had UK developers, and they're all gone now because they just can't compete in the in the, in the market of of the, the these. Continents. They got bought out by their American, larger American well, they're friends. And, North.
0: Where they're where Scottish. They're Scottish. They're Scottish to this day.
1: They're still around?
0: Grand Theft Auto Auto is often, they say, the reason it's so scabrous and satirical of American culture is because it's produced by Brits. Rockstar has other studios, but the the Grand Theft Auto studio is British.
1: Yeah, but also aren't they famous for, for Grand Theft Auto kind of being their only premium dog they have? Um, the other, other titles not necessarily being as crash hot as that that
0: one great IP. I mean, Core oh, uh, has, a, has because, the same... That's because if you stand anything next to Grand Theft Auto, it kind of looks a Yes, bit
1: shame, well, uh, Core has a Max similar problem
0: with... it sells a lot of units, and I'm um, sure I've got another game on the go at the moment by Rockstar that... Uh, that uh, there are other Rockstar games that do fine compared to, yes, you know... The Behemoth. I mean, who wasn't playing Grand Theft Auto? On the old on the on a uh, PS two PlayStation two Grand <laughs> Theft three was the one yeah I mean oh well, let's 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 wind it right back for a second because we won't got to take a moment of course to uh, reference the gag at the beginning of the show I think that one of the things about um, this and it's kind of evolved you know in the eighties people went to the movies to to get um, you know a story fix and in the latter days. Television has become the vehicle for great storytelling. But in the in between time, people looked to computer games. I mean, you've already talked about Final Fantasy VII, but of course, the 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 monster storytelling moment of PlayStation was, of course, Metal Gear Solid, which was like, it's like playing an action movie. It was. In retrospect, it's not like playing an action movie. <laughs> but it, it did
1: a very good job of, of fooling us. I mean,. Taking the Metal Gear Solid series as a whole, uh, I still think this is the best one. I think it had the correct balance just about between cutscenes and gameplay. Because cutscenes have become sprawlingly long epics. I mean, Hideo, he really needs to have an editor to say, no, you you can't put out a game that is going to take nine hours to watch just in cutscenes. That's ridiculous. Uh, There's too much story to tell, and quite frankly, your twists are too convoluted. But Metal Gear Solid was just about right. By the time you get to the seriously strange wiggy stuff you know, where it turns out, the spoilers, everyone, the principal villain is your clone twin brother and things like that. And there's all been a conspiracy and you were sent here deliberately. La 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 la. Um, is all in the latter half of the game, uh, pretty much just before we get down to the final set, set full of fights. So it's like the revelation backloaded. But before then, it was just so cool the way it just kept going deeper and deeper into this world and revelations just kept coming and coming and coming. And it looked so good. It sounded so good. And, uh, you know, it's, it was also the fact that it was a sneak-em-up. It was uh, about avoiding fights for the most part, apart from some certain set pieces that were in the game. Uh, it was it was like, it was, as you as you told me once, it's more like playing Pac-Man. It's about avoiding the ghosts whilst you go about your business rather than confronting them and mowing them down with bullets, which had been, you know, the contra solution to uh, bad guys in games up until that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, w- w- one of the interesting things for me is that I played Metal Gear. So- well, well, famously, this is one of the Leo and Ian moments, uh, watershed moments when it came out, and we went to Blockbuster and hired it. I went to yours for the weekend, and we spent the entire weekend playing the game, and then you know, pushing it to the point I was going to have to get a train home, and we <laughs> were pushing it as far as we could because we wanted to get to the very end. And I think what what scuppered us. Although we did, we get to the end. I think we, we did. We didn't. we didn't. We didn't. We but did. what, scu- what scuppered us was. The fact that the cutscenes were so long and we were sat there doing cutscenes going you know, as many people have since, going, Come on, get on with it yes. return mm-hmm. us to the game.
1: Because <laughs> yeah, had, we had we had Liquid Snake go, ah, you're falling into my trap. Ha <laughs> ha you've primed them yourselves, you haven't disarmed them. <laughs> oh good here we go, fight scene. But no, instead it cut to some stock footage of a lab going back in the early seventies, genetic experiments were carried out. He's going into a full lecture explaining what's really going on and it's like like, just get on with it, my God.
0: Yeah, so that was, but, but yes, so, I mean, at the time it was really amazing. And at the same time as this came out, another studio had kind of got wind of this stealth gameplay mechanic. <laughs> and they brought out a game called Siphon Filter, which oh, has always me. been seen as the second string, you know. Oh, it's definitely the,
1: the inferior mega solid game, undoubtedly. Although, Although it's cheeky in places, but it's definitely the inferior.
0: Well, although in the thing about it is Siphon Filter itself is is yeah, it's not a it's not as good as Metal Gear Solid is. But Siphon Filter two has a much is, that that is far more like playing an action movie. Um, And the other thing about it is that you hold one of the shoulder buttons and your character kind of goes into sneaky, sneaky mode. And you can do all sorts of, you know, crouching down and moving forward while, you know, having your gun at the ready kind of stuff. And I played all the way through that. Absolutely love. One of my favorite things about Syphon Filter 2 is the end, where uh, they, they present you with an end boss who appears to be completely invulnerable. But there's a puzzle. Like, it's not an end boss, it's an end puzzle. And when you work out how to do it, you go, oh, I see, like that.
1: Have you played Syphon Filter 2? I haven't played 2, I played 1. I think I was frustrated by the fact that in Metal Gear Solid, sneaking and being spotted is a very understood science by the player. It was a bit more vague, I think, for me, playing Syphon Filter.
0: Ah, well, until you work out... You see, you basically, you just have to work out the game engine, which is you walk through the map. There are certain levels where you just run and gun. They make you do it, basically. There isn't an, a, an alternative. But um, for the rest of the game... Basically, the uh, the physics of it is go into sneaky-sneaky mode, sneak up against the wall, and then you can do this thing where you duck your head out around the corner and you can see the enemies who are coming up ahead, and then you just like keep doing it until you've lined up a headshot, and then you shoot them on the head. Oh, yes.
1: The, there were many headshots in Fleeing Silent filter. I think I killed a boss
0: by doing a headshot once
1: in Silent Yeah, yeah.
0: You could, like, well, it, they conveniently labelled it for you. So you went, like, right, good, and you shoot people in the head. Um, at the end of Siphon Filter 2 just for the, the, the record uh, there's a guy who's uh, covered in an impervious armour that you're fighting on the rooftop and you've got the only weapon you've got that does anything to him is a sort of US Marine shotgun which has a limited amount of ammo like 48 shells or something and when you shoot him with it in the chest it it, make, it forces him back so you can't harm him in any way but you can force him back And you're like, well, that doesn't really make much sense. But he's about to escape in a helicopter, which is running. And at the back of the helicopter, as is traditional, is a whirling rotor blade, like a gigantic, you know, four-foot span blade, whirling like a blender. And then you shoot him. And as you shoot him in the chest, it lifts him up and peppers him all over the floor in the thing. And it's just like... That is really satisfying because he's (laughs) so smug about it up to that point. So, yeah, a genius ending there, which I've now told you how to do. But the game is, you know, 15 years old. So, you know. It doesn't matter. Um,
1: these, these things are all on YouTube. You can go back yes. and, and, and relive them all without having the hassle of digging out your save. Because the thing is, a lot of my memory cards are perishing because the batteries just simply can't last inside them, unfortunately. So there's, there's many an epic game that's just lost to me now. I can no longer go back and play my favorite
0: levels of them. But anyway, yeah, so, so uh, there was Cypher Filter. And the thing was, I went back to play Metal Gear Solid after playing siphon filter and that sneaky sneaky button i never realized but snake runs everywhere except when you make him crawl on his stomach but there's no actual sneak up to the edge of something button or walk around very slowly with your gun drawn button and i was suddenly like oh i was kind of expecting to be able to sneaky sneaky but no what you used to do was wait until the guard's back was returned then peg it For the the way past where they wouldn't see. You
1: can put your back to the wall and look around the corner to look at the guards. And and you can also tap the wall to make a noise and things like that.
0: That's a stationary thing. Whereas in Syphon Filter, you could sneak behind someone and they wouldn't know you were there. Um, And that was a key difference. Like, suddenly you realise. So if the scales fall from your eyes, this game isn't perfect. You know, there is no point at which... If you the, you've, the guard has turned away from you, you can you, you wouldn't sneak up behind him. You'd have to run up behind him and then peg him over the top of the head and actually kill him. You can't just sneak past by following him a few feet behind in the shadows, which was something that later became more to do with stealth. But yeah, I'm just pointing out that you know when you, you, really you can. Itself. You
1: just got to make sure you don't fall in, into the guard's eye view. You got to make sure you don't make too much yeah. foot noises behind yeah. the guard as well. But you you know it is yeah. possible to sneak up to a guard in Metal Gear Solid and plant some sea on him and sneak away and then blow him up. Uh, yeah, and also the, the other thing about Metal Gear Solid was it, it gave rewards depending on which ending you unlocked. And these just made you want to play the game all over again. And if you played yes. it through a third time, you got to do it in a tuxedo! This is the first time I'd ever really seen that. And I quite I give it points for it gives you reward based on which ending you pit, picked to kind of complement the way you play the game. And of course uh, the first... Silent Hill
0: was a PlayStation game. Yes, it was. Um, and, and was done no favours at all by its demo, which, no. uh, which just made it look irritating and not that good. And then when I finally did play it, I was blown away by that. Yes. And then, I mean, a lot of this sort of stuff. You get to 2000. I mean, it was. It was 2000. And they brought out the PlayStation 2. When did you get your PlayStation 2? it was after you
1: i mean i basically i had like a three game rule i wanted three games i definitely wanted to have and i'll go get it and i think i went over to stay at your place for like a weekend and you had shadow of memories and you were playing that and you're like oh i didn't realize they were doing things like this on that oh yes i'm definitely
0: getting this console now yes well exactly well, this is the thing the, the the game that sells you the console and I got well. You would have been pretty hard pressed to get a PlayStation two after me because it was the first and only console I have ever bought on the day of release. <laughs> I got a, a cancelled pre-order from a, a shop, and I took it home proudly. And uh, the games that you got in the bundle with it were a terrible game called X Force, which was basically a three uh, uh, a first person shooter in three. So it was very boring. And then there were a couple of other games. Uh, I remember the first game that really made an impression was Time Splitters, which looked like it was going to be not very good, and then was in fact amazing. So that was uh, an interesting moment. And then, and then it just went from there. And of course, the big thing with the PlayStation Two was you could play DVDs on it, and that was the way. so yes, Stealth. Got DVD players into many homes that would otherwise not have bothered. Um, And one of the reasons I think they're having such a tough time with the HD formats now is um, much apart from the fact that people don't want to consume media particularly that way. But that I remember putting the DVD into the PlayStation and pulling up the DVD and looking at the DVD on the television and being like, it's so clear. You know, like yes. you suddenly—I de- mean—you look at a video cassette, then you just go, "Ooh, muddy," yes. um, and and just stuff like that. Then you suddenly realise you've been watching television with one eye closed for all this time. <laughs>
1: it was—it and- was. I—I was, I, love my the built-in DVD player on my PlayStation Two so much. I went out and bought the third-party remote, so I could. Yes, have- I
0: did as well. Yes.
1: Um, yes, that was my opinion. I mean, the thing is, just to have a little side conversation here. I another reason that you know the Blu-ray is not taking off like the rocket like DVD war is, is that you know not everyone has a television or a surround system that you can get the full benefit out out of that quality level of quality. It's a lot, you know, that's a bit more cutting edge. You've got to be a bit of a bit of a geek to have your home system set up that well. Uh, and also, it you know, we got rid of cassette and we embraced CD. We got rid of video cassettes and we embraced the DVD. And I think people aren't quite sold on the idea of
0: getting a whole new CD-type format. I think that, that's... Well, it's... I, I do... I mean, you know, I've seen things in HD, and yeah, it's a little bit better than DVD. Yes. But... One of the things that really is—it's not the quantum leap
1: from video to DVD, no. is it?
0: Though hardware manufacturers really don't give us stuff. They will sell you and have for quite an affordable price a DVD player with an HDMI cable that upscales, and generally that does a fine job of turning DVDs into HD. It's not, you know, perfect, but it's but anyway it's oh, okay. doable. Uh, and that's the thing. There is no reason. And that's why they're having such a difficulty. But DVD. Oh, my gosh. The first time you saw things in DVD. And you, I mean, this is one of the questions I was going to ask. I mean, DVD making films easier to sort of appreciate at home in a higher definition and games consoles leading this narrative plus the Internet plus you know, all of these, and the advent of CG special effects, all have a massive impact on on the cinema. And it's interesting that it only really hit right at the end of the nineties. The nineties are very much a growing pains time, and that the, the console helped us get through that in a way. I think.
1: Well, you know, I think we we were all kind of culturally programmed to understand the Matrix by the time it came along, because we've been playing simulators. For some time of, you know, being put into another world where we were a superhero. So, uh, oh, but a trivia question for you, Leo. See if you can guess this one. What is the game that I bought when I went and got my PlayStation 2. What was the first game that I owned my PlayStation 2? Was it's... it a sequel to Soul Reaver? Well done! Well, maximum points. Soul Reaver 2. My goodness, yes, that was a fun Christmas. I just marvelled at that game. How How is this going to make any money? I always look to think, it's like, I, I, understand, I understand it, because I'm obsessed with the series, but anyone else is just going to feel like they've been talked under the table.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think we've sort of covered the sort of early days of consoles and kind of tipped over into the PlayStation 2. I think this is ground to revisit in, the, in the, the, the later 2000s. I mean, we've talked a bit about um, that kind of thing, but yeah, I mean, it can't be underestimated. I, I mean, I didn't really recognise it at the time, now that I come to think about it. We took it for granted, but- certainly. I think, well, yeah, but, it, yeah, the the change that consoles brought in the... Uh, I mean, you know, obviously, eventually, Nintendo came out with their CD-based uh, system, except it wasn't CDs. I mean, they, they've now gone to the full-size disc, but the GameCube had its little biscuit discs, uh, which were very cute. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is another one where Nintendo, I think, have always had a bit of a chip on their shoulder about the fact that the GameCube, I can testify 100%. It's such a much actual better piece of hardware than the PlayStation 2 or the Xbox, the yeah. original Xbox. And yet, but, but, it was the also-ran. I mean, Nintendo have become
1: a, the also-ran. It, well, they did better than the Dreamcast, which was just crushed by the incoming shadow of the PlayStation 2. The thing is, and well, I, I want to go back to my main point here, because everyone rattles on about hardware, and this became an obsession. In the last uh, generation of console wars, to talk about hardware, no, it's games. PlayStation was uh, it, it was a, a bo- it was a boxy little machine that wasn't as powerful as things around it, but it had games. PlayStation 2 backwards compatible. Keep all your PlayStation games, plus have all your PlayStation 2 games, and we have so many coming that there was an avalanche that's crushed everybody else. I and mean, then when it came to PlayStation 3. All of a sudden, Sony just fumbled the ball. I was as big as a Sony fanboy as you're likely to find, and even I was going, I don't think I'm going to get a PlayStation 3 this time. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, Xbox used to be the great Satan as far as I was concerned, but all of a sudden I was, I was, it was seeming like a highly attractive proposition. Unfortunately, then I found, fell down a deep hole called World of Warcraft, and buying consoles was not really a problem for me anymore. I was stuck in the world of Azeroth as, as if a jail sentence.
0: Well, I think those, they, these are all things to talk about in the 2000s. Uh, but, yes, I mean, uh, I have come myself late to the party on this current generation. So we shall talk about that when we get to the 2000s. I mean, wh- what happened to consoles w- when... And this, I mean, I think that that fumble... I think uh, both the Xbox 360 and the PS3 lost people. You know, this is the thing. The PS2 era was the era when everybody had a games console of some sort. Um, because at the same time as they were running the PlayStation 2, they brought out, if you remember the PS1, the very cute little book-shaped version of the PlayStation 1 that uh, was then changed to be marketed for the markets that traditionally the old games consoles, the snares and so on, had been marketed at. You know, young kids. All the kiddie games were suddenly on the PS1 and a PS1 cost you about 60 quid. It was just like, you know, a final insult on Sony's part towards their erstwhile competitors. Or well, yeah, yeah, we've got one of those. It's a very cheap...
1: Well, trip. my favourite piece of trivia was... Do you, know, do you know how they made the PlayStation 2 backwards compatible?
0: They put a PlayStation 1 inside it on the motherboard, didn't Yes,
1: they, they just put a PlayStation 1 chip inside it. Job done. Well,
0: congratulations, gentlemen. You yeah. so so there we go but yes yeah, so the playstation 2 era was definitely the era when everybody you know you know everybody was into the console now we're entering sort of a second phase of that but that's a now so we'll talk about that again i think we sort of wrap up this i think the, the way to leave it is to say is, is on the playstation 2 in that that generation what was your what, what was your fondest playstation 2 memory of PlayStation Two memory, oh!
1: Do you have yours all lined
0: up? I think, to be fair, there's only one thing that possibly I would have to, I would have to identify, and that thing is Silent Hill Two. Nothing on the PlayStation Two equals the experience of Silent Hill Two on the PlayStation Two. That was nuts. We can and have they had two more Silent Hill games in that generation of console, and they didn't. Silent Hill 2 was just this complete accident of a perfect storm of, of of everything and again you know you look back at it today and you're like mm, yeah it's not you know it's not uh, the full banana but <laughs> at the time it's still creepy as hell though that's the thing they sacrificed they used all of the hardware and shaped it into this experience that even though you recognize the limitations of its hardware today you're like, still scary, though. Yeah. Still
1: works. Unsettling. Still I think we can talk more about that as we get there. For me, it's harder because, you know, there's Legacy came, but that's because I'm a fanboy. I don't necessarily put that down to hardware. It certainly wasn't because of gameplay. Um, I, I did play Metal Gear 2 an awful lot. It were Final Fantasy X, I put the hours into that one. I, think I played that through twice. I need to go away and have a look at my con- my console collection again. I have not played the PlayStation 2 for quite some time, I'm afraid. That's a very sinful thing to, to say to round off this podcast, probably. But, oh... Yeah,
0: I mean, end of gen Oh, I think, to be fair, that that we'd probably share a moment over Grand Theft Auto something. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Vice City.
1: I still stick to... I, moment- I still go back to my Vice City and my Grand Theft Auto 3 save games... Just to go calls mayhem, especially with three, because the AI of the cops is so appalling that you can get a few get two wanted stars and then go stand at this very particular spot, and all the police cars police, uh, cars and cops that come run towards you just walk off the edge of the cliff and drown right in front of you. I never get bored of this because they just keep coming
0: and dying, but yes, I think that Grand Theft auto three in particular is that was the clarion call of the what what has become the current generation because the other moment that I've got that I've still got that I'm actually even replaying sort of at the moment is uh, this edit uh, known as Bully in the (coughs) US which uh, is the sort of school days Grand Theft Auto awesome game but not it's weird it's not really of that generation it's of the next generation even though it was on the previous generation hardware. no silent hill 2 is quintessentially playstation 2 and grand theft auto 3 was that moment i mean i think the moment where you realize in grand theft auto 3 wait a second i don't have to do the next level i can just walk about i can go and have a look over here and i can just do this and i can just do that and thus the open world was born but that really is a thing for the 2000s so I think before we uh, get onto to that we should uh, we should if people want to talk to us and reminisce with us about uh, the those nineties consoles and you know p s one and in the early days of p s two where might they go to tell us about their favorite moment or what happened to them in Grand theft auto 3?
1: well one place they can send their favorite saves from their memory cards would be our facebook page which you can find on facebook forward slash revenge of the eighties kids and that's eighties as in numbers so eight zero s please go there and like our page it is our community hub please comment we shall respond we also put up links we've, and of things we found interesting and very occasionally discussions break out but also we put up our podcast there because podcasts are what it's all about and for those of you to point your web browsers towards 80s kids and that's 80s as in letters so e-i-g-h-t-i-e-s kids.podermatt.com uh, please go there and please subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or simply download to your own PC for dark reasons of your own however this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found the legacy of podcasts can be found
0: on leostableford.com which uh, is also uh, where my blog is so that's got all other stuff as well but it's definitely got the archive on Um, i'm actually at that very moment where work may commence shortly on the proper archive which will have a permanent home but from my blog you can also get to um, other places such as uh, my work which is curiously um, appropriate this week Uh, I'm writing a novel on Wattpad at the moment called The Elias Anomaly which uh, is set inside a gigantic uh, well most of it is set inside a gigantic virtual reality sort of theme park open world type experience um, and, and talks about some questions To do with that,
1: I I, I also believe we've we nearly reconstituted Justin from an earlier game save, but uh, he's not quite with us yet. So perhaps you could point us towards where we
0: can find him on the net. Well, you can find examples of his work at DeviantArt under the name Justin Wyatt, and uh, hopefully, yes, we'll have managed to put him back together properly by next time. But uh, until then. I, I feel in the mood to go off and twiddle my thumbs uh, in the direction of a television set with brightly coloured explosions. So I might go and do that.
1: Um, I too will find some nefarious game-related post-podcast activity to do relevant to the t- topics we've discussed today. Um, so
0: now, farewell and uh, game over.
1: Game over, man. Game over. Game over. Game over.